today, we're going to conclude this series with this title. You say church, I say movement. You say church, I say movement. And the reason why I want to talk about the church being a movement today is because I, I believe that for so many people, when they think about church, they, they think about this meeting that I go to on the Sunday morning. And so I go to this meeting where there's some singing and somebody talks and, and I sit through it and, and I go there on a weekly basis or, or maybe for some it's every other week or for some it's like once a month, for some it's just Easter which is happening next, next week and so for some it's Christmas and, and, and for others it's just when I kind of remember and, and for some church is this meeting that they forgot about two years ago. Because the pandemic hit and it punched people in the face and they were like, I don't really know. And they got out of the habit of being part of a church and they got out of the habit of being connected. And maybe some of you are here today because that was you. You are part of a church and then COVID struck, the world ended, and you just got out of the habit. And then you got a mailer or you saw something on Facebook or a friend invited you to come and you said, okay, I guess I'll check it out again. But, but this is what church is for so many people. It's just this, this meeting on Sunday morning that, that I go to. And, and for some, they think about church as this, this thing that I go to to get inspired and rejuvenated, uh, to get refreshed, and then I go out into the world and, and, and live my life again. And then, and then I, I, I come back and I get my God fix every week or whenever I think about it or whenever the weather's nice or, or anything like that. For, for, for others, they, they think about church as like this duty, Right? And so like, I'm going to show up, I'm going to check the box, I'm going to do my duty, I'm going to be happy with myself because I feel like I'm doing a good thing, and God's going to be happy with me because I showed up in his house and I said hi, and then my wife's going to be happy with me, she's going to stop nagging me for the next three weeks so I don't have to come to church then. Like, this is, this is church for, for so many people. And, and, and for others, when they think about church, it's this, this meeting of, of Christians who, um, who, who are really focused on themselves, and so, so they go to a church and, and they think, well, what's in it for me? How's, how's, uh, how's the preaching? How's the music? Do I like it? Do they sing the songs that I want? And, and what happens is for so many people, church becomes consumeristic. What am I getting out of it? What, what can I gain from this? And, and when that happens, the church becomes this organization that's not outwardly focused like a movement on people who aren't yet here, but instead it becomes inwardly focused about our own preferences and desires and wishes and wants. And when that happens, when the focus becomes inwards and it's all about me and what can I get from this, the church begins to get stagnant and it stinks. And so if when you think about church, it's this meeting that you show up to or it's this inward focus country club of Christians, like, why would you want to be a part of that? But what I find fascinating is that when Jesus talked about the church, he talked about it in a whole different way. See, for Jesus, when, when he talked about the church, he, he talked about it in this invigorating, exciting way. Like, when Jesus talked about the church, he had this vision of a gathering of people who would unite around the reality of his resurrection, and they would say, because Jesus rose again from the dead, and there's this spark in my heart, and there's this desire and passion that I have, that we would be this gathering of people, this movement of people who are on a mission to take ground for God's kingdom, that we would storm the gates of hell and we would bring light into places of death, that we would storm the gates of hell and we would bring uh, light into dark places. Like when Jesus talked about the church, his, his envisioning of the church was that it would be a bunch of uh, ravenous, wild, wound up, excited people who are on a mission. Like when Jesus talked about the church, it was like this force to be reckoned with. 
But sadly today, like the church is not that. And so I want to see if I can't stoke the fire and get us blazing again. See, there was this moment where Jesus got his disciples together, his followers together, uh, his closest friends, and he asked them this question. And it's a question they had to answer. It's a question you need to answer for your own self. Here's, here's what Jesus asked them. He said, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? But what about you? Who do you say that I am? And this is such a critical question for you to answer. Jesus gets his disciples together. He says, who do you say that I am? In the same way, I believe that Jesus is asking each and every one of us, wherever you are in your faith journey, who do you say that he is? Because how, whoever you say he is, however you see him, that's how you'll treat him. And so if, if you say that Jesus is a good man, you'll treat him like a good man. If, if you say that he's a religious figure, you'll treat him like a religious figure. If he's a historical figure, you'll treat him like a historical figure. If you say that he's somebody that maybe you should listen to, then you'll treat him as somebody that maybe you'll listen to. But if you say that he's the son of God, if you say that he's one who sticks closer than a brother, one who knows you better than you know yourself, who came to raise you to new life and who has called you to become greater, giving your life meaning, infusing into you a plan and a purpose for living, if he's your only hope and only saving grace, one who wiped out your sins and gave you a new start every day with daily grace, and he leads you in victory through the power of his resurrection working within you, if he's this to you, then you'll treat him as such. See, I believe so many of us are coming up short in life because we see God for less than who he really is. And because of that, we treat him as less than who he really is. He's this being swirling up out there somewhere, and I'll go visit him every once in a while on a Sunday. For some, he's powerless to act. For some, he's just some religious thing that I grew up with. See, how you see God is how you treat God. And I believe so many of us are treating God less than who he really is. And because of that, we're not experiencing the more that we were made for. So I just want to ask you, who is he to you? Who is Jesus to you? Is he the God of your habits? Is he the God of your family? Is he the God of your finances? Is he the God of your relationships? Is he the God of your sexuality? Is he a God of your life and everything that you are? If so, give him access to it and determine I'm going to live my life for him. Because that's the best way to live. And you know that's true. Because you've tried living your own way. I've tried going my own way. And it runs me into a wall every time. It leads to frustration. It leads to unfulfillment. See, I believe that today Jesus is asking, who do you say that I am? And you gotta answer that question. Who is Jesus to me? Here's, here's what Peter said, one of Jesus' followers. Matthew chapter 16, verse 16. Simon Peter answered, you're the Messiah. You are the son of the living God. You're the savior of the world. You're the one who came to redeem the world. You're the one who came to save our souls, and we're trusting in you with everything we have. That's who you are. I wonder, if you're a Christian today, if you believe that Jesus died for you on the cross, that he rose again from the dead, if you've made the decision to follow him, if you've been baptized into him, do you live in such a way where he is the son of the living God, the savior of your soul and the leader of your life? Or would you look at your life and you say, 
Now, I say that about him. There's a disconnect, though, because I'm going to do relationships my own way. I'm going to do sexuality my own way. I'm going to do finances my own way. I'm going to do priorities my own way. Is there a disconnect there? I believe that God is calling you to allow the way that you live and what you believe about him to align. And when that happens, it's not a burden. It's not so God can rain on your parade. It's not so God can mess up your fun. It's so that he could lead you into the life you've always longed to live. Who do you say that he is? Peter said, you're the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock, I'll build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Now, look, I don't have time to get into a deep Bible study on this passage, but essentially what Jesus is saying is this. Hey, Peter, on this rock, this rock-solid true statement that you just said, that I'm the son of the living God, on this rock, I'm going to build my church. And so what's going to happen is there's going to be this gathering. And he's not talking about a physical building. We've got to get that out of our mind. Oftentimes, we think about church, and it's like, I'm going to church. You can't go to what you are. Like, the church is the people. The church is a gathering. When we showed up at Skatehouse today, we didn't show up to church. We brought the church into the building. The church is not some brick and mortar stone structure somewhere. The church is us. It's people. And Jesus' idea was this. On that statement that I am the son of the living God, I'm the savior, I'm the redeemer of the world, people are going to gather and rally around the truth of the resurrection. And I'm going to build my church on the rock-solid foundation that I rose again from the dead. That's what we're celebrating next year at Easter, the resurrection of Jesus. That's why we gather every Sunday like this, so that we can celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. But on this rock-solid foundation, that I'm the Savior of the world, I'm the one who leads you to life, there's going to be a gathering of people, a rallying of people, and I'm going to build my church on this truth. And when Jesus describes the church, he says this. He says, and when I build my church, this gathering of people rallying around this rock-solid foundation that I am the truth, the way, and the life. I'm the Son of God. The gates of Hades, he says, the gates of death, the gates of hell, won't be able to withstand the movement that is the church. See, when he says this, the picture Jesus paints of the church is this, is that we are not some country club for Christians. We are not some cruise ship for the comfortable to come and sip cocktails until we wait to the port side of heaven. That's not what this is. No, and said, we're like a battleship on a mission. And he says, the church is going to form on the truth that I am the son of God. And the gates of death won't be able to withstand it. See, gates are defensive. We build gates to protect what's behind. We build gates to stop what's in front from advancing. When Jesus gives us the picture of the church, he gives us a picture of a group of people who are wild-eyed, rushing the gates of hell storming into a place of death and snatching people from the flames and saying, no, you're not going to get my sister. No, devil, you're not going to get my husband. You're not going to get my wife. You're not going to get my kids. I'm storming the gates of hell to snatch people from the flames. And he says, when that happens, the gates of hell won't be able to withstand you. We're dangerous people. 
Well, we don't act that way. Come on, look at your life last week. Was it dangerous? Were you storming the gates of hell? Or were you like, what's on Netflix tonight? Were you storming the gates of hell? Or are you getting offended because somebody posted something on Facebook about a cat? Come on. The picture that Jesus paints of the church is we are a movement advancing against the gates of hell. But, oh, come on, come on, come on. You look at the church today, it's like, that? <laughs> Those people storming the gates of hell? No, 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 no. Can I just stoke a fire in you to help you see who you are called to be? That's a movement. We live in a city of half a million people. And there are people right now living on the other side of death, relishing in it, loving it. And you go to work with them. You go to the bar with them. Ain't nothing wrong with that. You can take me to the bar too. You hang out with them. You talk with them during the week. You're friends. But when you leave, you're content to let them stay on that side of the gates of death. Because they're not storming anything. It's time to rise up as a church and be a movement in the city. And it begins by being a movement in your life. It begins by being a movement in your workplace. It begins by being a movement in your family. Men, I want to speak to you real quick. It begins by you stepping up and being the men God has called you to be. By you saying, I'm going to be a movement in my family. Men, please do not be a subject on your wife's prayer list. Don't let your wife be like, yeah, can you pray for my husband that he would turn to God and follow him? No, you lead the way, and you show your family what it looks like to be a move of God in your family. And it begins by you loving well, by you showing grace well, by you forgiving well, by you communicating well, by you leading well. I wanna, I wanna show you this, don't, don't, don't miss it. 1 Corinthians 12, 27. This guy named Paul, he writes this. He says, no, you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. He said, no, you're the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. See, the church is the body of Christ. The church is the body of Christ. Paul says, you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. So I want to make this connection. If the church is a move of God and you are part of the church because you've said yes to Jesus, that means that you are a move of God. And so you don't come to the movement, you are the movement. Are you with me? It's not the church and organization is going to do this, it's you, the person, is going to do this. The church is a movement, you are part of the church, so you are the movement. And because you are the movement, we are the kind of people who when we wake up on Monday, we don't say, oh, dear God, it's Monday. We say, thank God it's Monday because I get to go be a movement in my workplace and show grace and love to people that I work with. And I can show them that God saved me. He can save them as well because you're the movement. You're the movement. It means that you bring the movement of grace into your marriage. You show love and serve even when you don't feel like it, and the other person may not even deserve it, but you still show that because you're the movement. 
It means that you bring the movement of light with you in your life, showing the people around you what it means to live for Jesus, but not compromising in your standards or your integrity or your attitude because God has called you to live out the more you were made for and you show what it looks like through the example of your life. Do you understand? You are the movement. And we got to take the movement with us throughout the week. I got four of you who believe that. Come on. You are the movement. So the question is, how do I be a Christian at work? Be the movement of grace in your job. How do I be a Christian in the world? Be the movement of integrity God has called you to be in the world. How do I be a Christian in my relationships? Be the movement of standards and purity and righteousness in your relationships. You be the movement wherever you go. You're representing the movement. God wants to do something through you. This isn't my church. This is our church. You are the church. So take it with you wherever you go. So when I say church, I say movement. Because what if church, the church, was actually supposed to be something bigger than our personal preferences? What, what if church is more like this living, breathing movement of people united under one vision, rallying together in unity to accomplish a mission? What, what if church isn't just some stagnant gathering of saints, but it's this messy movement of people who have experienced grace, and they have this longing for others to experience the same grace as well? What if that's what the church really was? See, I believe once we get that, once that resonates deep down into your soul and it becomes a reality for you, we won't have enough room in this place to seat people because you're going to want to share that with everybody as you begin to gather the understanding, oh, I am the movement. So I want to show you real quick what it looks like to be the movement in everyday life. And we see this actually uh, from the first church. When the church first started 2,000 years ago, we see it in this passage, uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Here's what's happened. Um, these early believers came to understand the reality of the resurrection, and based on the truth that Jesus rose again from the dead, they gathered together and began to live in a certain way. They allowed the resurrection of Jesus to shape how they lived, and here's how they lived. Acts 2, 42. It said, they devoted themselves. They devoted themselves. They, they devoted themselves. They devoted themselves. We got to get this. This is the baseline. They made the gathering a priority. They understood that they were part of a movement, and that was their priority. That was the way that they lived. That was the way that they operated. That was the center of their world. They devoted themselves. They said, we're going to show up. We're going to make it a priority. We're going to make Jesus the center of our lives. Even, even though the world fell apart two years ago, we're going to get back in the habit of making Jesus the center of our lives. They devoted themselves. Everything else that comes after this is based on this foundation that they devoted themselves. See, for these people who are the early church, if you were to say, hey, are you going to go to church? They'd be like, go to church? How can I go to what I am? This is who I am. We don't go to church. We are the church. It filled every part of their life. I wonder if there are aspects of your life God hasn't been able to touch because you've shoved it in the shadows and you said, no, God, you can't have that. You gotta devote your life 
to vote at all. I don't want to be radical or crazy. It's not radical or crazy. It's just living for God. And he will lead you on an adventure and lead you to the life you long for. They, they devoted themselves. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. This is, this is the art of the sermon. And so they gathered and they heard uh, someone speak and, 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 and give a message. And I do my best to preach really good for you. I hope it's good for you. Um, I think I'm the best one around. Anyway, uh, but they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, it isn't just listening, but it's also doing. It's not just listening, but it's also doing. I wonder if you've ever been guilty of hearing a sermon and saying, that was a really good sermon, and then you go to lunch and you forget about it, and then you just go back to life as normal. No! That's not what we've been called to be. That's not how we be a movement. We listen, and then we do it. Like, throughout this sermon, you should be thinking, oh my goodness, what's going to change in my life? What do I need to put into practice? What new habits do I need to form? What new things do I need to start doing as a result of what I'm hearing when God's word is preached? Because God's word has the power to change your life and transform you forever. But you got to move from listening to doing. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Where they look and they say, you know, what's in God's word that's actually how I'm going to live? They didn't say, well, I know the Bible says, but no. Because God's word says it, I'm going to let it shape my life and that's how I'm going to live. Because I've been doing the but for a long time. And it leads me to a life I don't want to live. So I'm going to do what he says, no matter how difficult, no matter how hard. And I'm trusting it's going to lead me to the life I long to live. I'll discover the more I was made for. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. And to fellowship. This is the gathering. This is it right here. They devoted themselves to gathering like this. And so if we're going to be the kind of people who devote ourselves to the gathering, what it means is that you say, I'm going to be there, not because I have to be, not because i got to check a box, not because I'm doing my duty, but I'm going to be there because I need to be around some other people who are running this race with me. I need to be reminded of God's grace. I need to be reminded of God's love. See, when you get yourself in a grace environment like this, it just has the power to change you. And so if we devote ourselves to the gathering, what it means is we say, hey, Bush Gardens, you're awesome and amazing, but I'm going to visit you on Saturday or Sunday afternoon, not Sunday morning, because I got a standing appointment to be in the gathering. They devoted themselves to the gathering. What it means is that you say, hey, Sports League, we think you're great and all, and our kid is going to show up for practice, and they're going to show up for Saturday games and Sunday afternoon games, but if there's a Sunday morning game, our kid's not going to be there because we're going to teach them that it's a priority to be in God's house because when this hits the fan later on in their life, uh, they're not going to run to the soccer field for help, but they're going to run hopefully to God's church because we're forming a foundation that this is what we do and this is what we're a part of. What it means is that you look and you say, oh man, I really want to run that half marathon. I really want to run that race, but man, it's on Sunday and I got a standing appointment to be in God's house because I got to be there with him. They devoted themselves to the gathering. What it means is that you say, yeah, Beach, you're going to be there a little later and it's an amazing day, 85 degrees or whatever it is, and we're going to see you later, but we are showing up to the gathering. We devoted, they devoted themselves. What it means is you look out and you say, yeah, it's raining, but I've driven in the rain before. I'll still show up at church. 
You know church attendance drops by 20% when it rains? Did you know that? It's true. Churches all across the nation experience this. They devoted themselves to the gathering. Man, I got a standing appointment to be in the house. Well, I could be a Christian and I... Look, you can watch a sermon online. You can listen to music in your car. But there's something about getting in the room, surrounded with others, as we sing with one voice, and as you hear the preaching of God's word, it just changes you. It's not a substitute for this. So make being in the house a priority. So they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread, to the breaking of bread. This is a reference to communion. The early Christians took communion every single week, and they did it as a reminder of God's grace for them. And that's why we do it. And I want to give you an opportunity right now to observe communion. In your chairs, there's a uh, cup. And on top of that cup is a, is a wafer, bread. It reminds us of Jesus' body that was broken for us. And the juice represents his blood that was shed for us. And we, and we take communion as a reminder that we're not in this alone. As a reminder that God has forgiven us and he loves us and he calls us by name. I don't know about you, but maybe on Thursday you needed that reminder as you were going through something difficult at work. Maybe you needed that reminder on Tuesday when your kid said, you know what, I don't want anything to do with you. Maybe you needed a reminder when you got in that argument with your spouse or when you sat in your 30s being single and you thought, could anybody ever love me? Take this as a reminder that God loves you. So I want to invite you, go ahead and take the bread and eat it. This is a reminder of God's grace for you. And then you take the juice and drink it. Just as a reminder that Jesus took your sins on himself. You don't have to live guilty anymore. But you can be forgiven. This is what the early church did. And so we join in with them in the practice that's been going on for the past 2,000 years. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread and to prayer. This is us connecting with and communicating with God. Now we got to be connected with our leader so that we can know what to do in this movement. It says, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs. Hey, I hope you're filled with awe at your church. I mean, I know we're just four weeks old, but I hope you're filled with awe at what's going on here. And you... And here's the deal, you might not be as filled with awe as you could be because you don't know this because I haven't told you, but I just want to tell you this. When you give back to God through Journey, when you return the tithe here, we take the first 10% of that and it goes back out. 3% of that goes to Waypoint Church Partners. They help start churches here in Virginia and North Carolina and Maryland and South Carolina so that people who are far from God can bump into Jesus and find life. And so when you give back to God through Journey, a portion of that goes to help start new churches so that people who are lost and hurting and broken can find life. The next 7% of that, so 10% total, goes to our strategic partners, local organizations in our community that are making a difference. And so we give uh, part of that percentage to Penn Ministry, People in Need. 
It's a ministry that helps the homeless here in Hampton Roads. They have a program called Changemakers, where right now there's, I think, eight men and women who are in this program. They've taken them off the street. They've given them apartments. They're training them in job skills, and they're helping them, like, break the cycle of poverty in their life. When you give back to God through Journey, a portion of what you give goes to help them do what they do. You're making a difference. One thing... One thing that we're going to be partnering with is uh, this organization called Fathers in the Field. And this is an organization uh, where, as a church, we want to come along single moms here in our church and want to pair them with a, a, a guy who can invest in their boys to help them and, and, and show them who God has called them to be by being a great example to them. Because we know being a single mom can be really difficult. And so we're partnering with Fathers in the Field to do that. Another thing that we're looking to do is partner with a local school to go in and say, hey, how can we serve you? What do you need from us? What can we do? We just want to be a resource for you. And we want to love on some teachers because we've discovered that being a teacher is difficult. And so this is just some of the things that we're doing as a church. Also, you saw a video of four people who got baptized last week. I hope you're in awe at what God is doing in this church. We never want to take it for granted. Because this is a move of God. And here's the deal. You can sit on the front row of a move of God and miss it because you take it for granted. We never want to take this for granted. They were in awe at the signs and wonders performed by the apostles at everything that was going on. Verse 44. All the believers were together and they had everything in common. And so the truth is, despite our differences, we have a sense of unity. We live in a world right now that's so divided, it's been divided, and it's just been cracking at the surface. But together, because we have Jesus in common, we're united. We're on the same mission, united under one vision to see people meet Jesus and journey with him. And so no matter your past, your present or your future, your race, your economic status, your political affiliation, we can be united because we rally around the resurrection of Jesus. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. See, generosity and sacrifice is just a characteristic for these early Christians. Like back then, if you were to ask these early Christians, hey, uh, are you going to give? They'd be like, what? Is that even an option? Like, of course I'm going to give because that's what Christians do. We're the most generous people in the world. Why? Because we serve a generous God who loved us so much he gave. Gave. His one and only son. When you look at the life of these Christians back then, they're generous and they give to those in need. And here's what they understood, that their resources fueled the mission. When you give back to God through journey, you're exercising your generosity muscle. And you're just being obedient to God, doing what he told you to do. And when you do that, you're fueling the mission of this church to continue to see people meet Jesus and journey with him. So they gave. They were generous. That's why we never apologize about giving. You, you may ask the question, well, does the church want my money? Yes, we do. Yes. N not because we just want your money, but because we want your heart. Because what I know is that your heart is connected to your money. And when you give to something, you care about it more. That's why you care about your phone. That's why you care about your shoes. That's why you care about your car. That's why when you give money to something, you care about it more. I just want you to care about what God's doing here. And your resources fuel the mission. So we're never going to apologize about that. 
And by the way, you never go to Nike and say, they just want my money. Of course they do. And give it to them. You never go to Netflix, they just want my money. Now, you get around that by sharing somebody's password and stuff like that. But we're generous, we're generous, we're generous. Let me wrap this up. i got to wrap up. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. What happened is they hung out with one another. They did life with one another. We're going to be launching groups pretty soon, and that's going to be a great way for you to connect with some people and find your crew so that church becomes more than just a chair. So you don't just sit in an environment like this and remain anonymous, but you'll be able to get to know people and do life with one another. You'll be able to have accountability with people. You'll be able to have encouragement with people. But you don't have to wait till we start groups to begin that today. I want to invite you. I know it's so weird. I know it's so awkward. I'm an introvert. I don't really like talking to people. But when, when you leave today, just say hey to somebody. Like, hey, I haven't met you. Pastor told me I should say something, so I'm doing what he said. So that's a great excuse to get to know somebody right? But they, they met together, and they hung out, and then praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Here's what I want you to see what happens at the very end. And the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. And the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. I love what happens in the book of Acts, because the people in the early church understood that they were a move of God, and they lived out the movement, and what happens is people saw the way that they were living, and they said, I want what you got. I want in on that. And then the people said, here, come, let me show you, and God added to their number daily those who are being saved. My hope for you is that people would look at your life as you live out the movement, and they would say, I want what you got. And you would say, let me show you where I found it. And then you bring them, you simply say, come and see. Right? This is what it means. So I want to look back at some of the takeaways from this passage real quick. Go ahead and take a picture of this as it comes up on the screen. Here's what the early church did when they understood that they were a move of God. Take a picture of this. Tag it on the gram. Check in. Hashtag, hey, that's a great way for you to get the word out. I'm meeting at this crazy church in a skating rink. You should come check it out. Here's a picture. No, okay, here we go. They made God's word a priority. They made gathering a priority. They made communion a priority, prayer a priority, gratitude a priority, unity a priority, generosity a priority, community a priority, joy a priority. And when they made these things a priority, God added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is just the start, the spark of a movement. And for us to gain momentum, it means it starts with us realizing we are the movement and we're going to live this out. So look back at that list. I believe everybody has a step to take. Every time I step up on the stage, I want to help you take a step closer to God in your journey. And so I want to invite you to look back at this list. And I want to give you two, two things to, to take a step towards. One, I want you to pick a step to take. And then the second, I'm going to give you a step to take. What step do you need to take this week to grow closer in your relationship with God, to draw closer to Him, to be a movement? What's a measurable step you're willing to take? Because you can't just hear the word, you got to do something about it. Now here's the step that I want to give you. You spread the word. You spread the word. Next week is Easter. 
Next week is Easter. Easter is one of the easiest times to invite anybody to church. Like nine times out of 10, people will come to church if they're just invited. Nine people out of 10 people will say, I would go to church if somebody would just invite me. So if you're afraid of rejection, this is like the time you get to hit home runs, right? You could just tell them, hey, come to church with me, right? Everybody goes to church on Easter, even if they don't go to church. And so you can just kind of say, guilt them into it, right? Come there. I'll take you out to lunch afterwards. Or you can take me out to lunch after, whatever it is. Like, come and sit with me on Easter. I got to get you there on Easter. And we want to make it easy for you to do this. We got 17,000 mailers that are hitting homes here in the area uh, this week. We also have invite cards that we've stacked in stacks of 10. We're gonna hand them out to you as you leave today. They're fun invite cards, they're funny invite cards, so it's super easy for you to just give to your coworkers, to give to your friends, to let people know you gotta come check this out. Because here's my vision for our church. Movements begin small like this. But I see one day this whole place being packed full of people. My vision is this, I just want to reach 1% of our city, that's it. I don't want to be greedy. Just 1% of our city, that's 5,000 people. We live in a city of 500,000 people. But what if we just reach 1%? The way it begins is by you inviting people next week to Easter. By you saying to the people that you love, the people you know, the people you work with, people you spend time with all the time, the people who are living on the other side of the gates of death, you give them an invite card, you send them a text, you call them up, and you say these three words, sit with me.